or I'd get students coming in who said that they really wanted to sing, that this was their passion, their life, but they never did the work. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Welcome, 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 everyone. I am so excited that you are here. Thank you for joining me again this week. Um, we have a great guest for you today, Lynn Hilton. It looks like it's spelled line, but it is Lynn. And um, we get into some really great stuff, some, you know, the nitty gritty of the self, uh, I'm sorry, the self-conscious, that was a little slip, the subconscious and um, how much of it, how much of our lives are controlled by it and how we can really rein it in. So I'm excited to get into that. Um, before I introduce Lynn, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, the workshop that I went to a few days ago, actually a week ago. Um, it was the Empowered Singer Workshop Series, um, and the topic was Career and the Authentic Self, and it was led by Felice Hernandez, and she does a really great job with the workshop, and we really got into, you know, just talking about our work and what we'd like to uh, change, what's working for us, what's not working for us. And great stuff like that. Also, um, we got a little bit into jealousy. You know, um, sometimes we see somebody's Facebook feed and it's like they're they're constantly working. And why didn't we get called for that gig? And, <laughs> you know, whatever it may be, we're looking at somebody's highlight reel. And maybe we're not feeling so great about it because, you know, we're trying to be positive And it's just like we've constantly got this we're just being constantly reminded that we're not working as much as somebody else. But, you know, my thing, my thing about jealousy is I think it's also, you know, I, I think the great thing about it, that having that pang, having that trigger is that maybe it has to do with the fact that whatever we're seeing is something that we want to try. Maybe we want to try that specific thing and we haven't allowed ourselves to do it. Or maybe it's just about allowing ourselves to try something, period. We see somebody um, either getting some work that um, we haven't been brave enough to try to get, whether it's approaching um, a contractor or a music director or uh, something along those, someone along those lines, you know, um, my thought on, you know, jealousy and all of that is that I have thought, what if I just called that person, if I know them fairly well and ask them, you know, of course how they're doing and all that kind of thing, but just talk to them a little bit about like, what are they doing? You know, like what is their approach to that aspect of their career? And I find generally people love to talk about, you know, that kind of thing. 
And well, that's basically the premise of the show. (laughs) But, you know, maybe instead of being jealous and sitting in that and, you know, blocking their feed, blocking those people on our feed, you know, maybe it is healthy for us to block them on our feed, but maybe it's something that you have to like, that it might be healthy to like lean into and um, call that person up, you know, if you kind of know them and have a conversation with them. You know, all that to say, it's, I think it's great to call people once in a while um, and especially have a conversation with people, with someone that you might be a little bit jealous of, you know, because you also find that whatever they were posting about might not be as glamorous as you think it is, you know, um, the situation isn't all, there's no perfect situation. So I think it's just great to like kind of remove that, um, veil. Anyway, all that to say, it was a great workshop. Those were the kinds of conversations that we were getting into. Um, next workshop, they've got several workshops going on and that's empowered singer workshops.com. Um, also, um, contracts and negotiate negotiations, negotiations. Um, that's also run by Felice Hernandez and, um, or led by Felice Hernandez. And, um, you know, I, that's February 1st, but you can find all of that on their website. Um, I'm, you know, definitely wanting to go to the contract and negotiation one because I am, I just feel like I freak out when I have to deal with that kind of thing. So I would like that demystified for me as far um, and then um, every Sunday for a while, um, there's going to be the Harmony Workshop that is led by Celia Chavez. So definitely check that out. She does a great job breaking down Harmony and um, and just providing a space for us to practice Harmony. So go to EmpoweredSingerWorkshops.com. I'll have the link in the show notes and um, you can find uh, find out all about the where and when as far as that goes. And hopefully I'll see you there. So cool, guys. I am so excited about our guest today, Lynn Hilton. And um, let me introduce her and then let's get right into it. So with a background in health, education and performance, Lynn Hilton's mission is to raise industry standards for vocal, mental and physical health and well-being in singers. She takes a very holistic approach to working with performers and believes it all starts with mindset. A bit of a jack-of-all-trades, Lynn, tr- Lynn draws on a diverse pool of training, qualifications, experiences, and skills to help performers achieve their singing, career, and life goals. As well as working with professional singers, signed artists, and professional voice users, Lynn helps singers become singing t-shirt singing teachers through BAST training and publishes I Sing Mag, an online resource for singers. So this is um, really a great information pack episode. I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing everything and I am excited. So without further ado, Lynn Hilton. Lynn, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm looking forward to chatting to you. Yeah, me too. So let's get right into it. Um, where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Perth, Western Australia, um, many moons ago. Yes. So that's where I started life. And I moved over to, well, I've been to the, in and out of the UK for quite some time since the early 90s. 
initially pursuing my um, jazz vocal career mm-hmm. and education and then um, I returned home and then I came back again in about 2002 after having spent a year in New York trying to be the artist and finding it probably wasn't my thing mm. and re- realising that actually I really enjoyed teaching a lot more and I, I then came to the UK, London um, in 2002 and set up my studio there. So I've been in the mm. UK since then. Um, and how did you were in New York? Oh, that's interesting. In New York, uh, pursuing the artist thing and then you found teaching was uh, more your speed. How did you kind of get into teaching? Well, I think like a lot of students do. Well, I'm, so I, I, I studied um, my, my undergrad is in jazz and mm. education. And I'd been singing um, in various choirs and locally, you know, with my own duo for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And occasionally somebody would approach me and say, oh, you know, I've always wanted to have singing lessons. Uh, do you right. teach? Yeah. And I was initially like, no, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And then one day I just thought, actually, maybe I should, you know, give it a go and see how I feel about it. My very first lesson was a disaster. Mm. Because my first lesson was a male. Yeah. And it wasn't really until my hands were halfway down to the piano that I realised I had no idea what starting note I should start on. I hadn't even thought about it, you know. And as I'm teaching him all the exercises I knew at the time, which were basically the ones that I had from my singing teacher, Mm-hmm. I realised I just didn't know what I was doing. And so mm. I, I actually stopped for a while and went and got some education and tried to yeah. find out how, how do you teach people how to sing? Yeah. So I, I came from an instrumental background and and for me, learning music was very mechanical and theoretical and yeah. in the sense of that you had the instrument. And then as I started working with voice, I was like, hang on a minute, I've got, I haven't got any buttons to press here. I can't right. show them how to, you know, and, and suddenly, because the instrument's internal, I suddenly realised, oh, my gosh, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff I don't know about this instrument that I've taken for granted mm. through just, you know, knowing my voice, having lessons from other people, but never really stopping to think about it. Yeah, yeah so that, that was about, I think that was about 1994, Mm. And um, and then I didn't really start again until about 2000 because mm. I realised I need, there was so much more I needed to learn. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, no, I started in about 97, that's right, when I was doing my degree. Um, and I felt a bit more confident. I'd done some workshops, done some mm-hmm. reading and and then focused also a lot more on teaching jazz style which I did feel very strongly about, you know, that I knew and understood. Mm. Um, and then as I was went along, I started to educate myself with regard to actually teaching technique. Because mm. I came from a classical technique, but I knew it wasn't working for a contemporary. So right. it took a while for me to figure it out. And, mm. um, you know, I did eventually. I found some great teachers and and learned how to teach in the contemporary style. And then from then on, my, my teaching really took off. But yeah, those first few years were a bit hit and miss. If I wanted to teach in um, 
or if one wants to teach in contemporary style, what is the best way to go about doing that? Where do you get the knowledge? Oh, getting the knowledge. Yeah, that's yeah. always a hard thing. I mean, look, it's a lot, e not easier, but it's a lot more accessible than it used to be because, mm -hmm. you know, you've got YouTube now. Right. You've got to figure out, though, who are the good, really the good teachers. Yes. And, good <laughs> and that right. does take a little trial and error and, and you know, meeting and talking to other people. Yes. So it depends on what you what you're looking for i mean i i came through uh, speech level singing so i trained as a speech level singing teacher and i was with with them for 11 years mm -hmm. got up the different levels up to level four and um that really informed a lot of my contemporary voice because when i was learning because i was learning with a classical teacher I wasn't really getting much in engagement with the bottom end of my voice. I could mm. do it when I was singing, but when I was having lessons, I wasn't being encouraged to use any of that chest resonance. Yeah. And, and so when whatever technique or whatever way, you know, you learn, you need to find people who understand how to engage that lower chest resonance or engage the, thorough retinoid muscle and then can teach the person and teach you methods of transitioning through from chest into middle or middle into head head register and so it takes a little time to find those kind of um, strategies and there are people around mm -hmm. there's the you know the SLS still continues there's IVA there's um, something called uh, CBT and still. And then there's individual teachers as well. Mm -hmm. I, th I think really my b biggest guidance to somebody is talking to whoever you think might be able to train you or help you and find out if they really understand the mechanism of the voice and how it works. Right. And then they're not using imagery all the time and, you know, but they're actually understanding that there's a mechanical yeah. aspect how the muscles int intrinsic muscles get used and that they have strategies to help you do that and i think the bottom line really is if after a few lessons has something clicked with your voice and is it doing what you want it to do right it's a bit hard with with singing it's not it like is. other instruments where there's a measurement you know where you can say i don't know technically if somebody's achieved a certain thing that you know then they can teach it yeah. A lot of singers, uh, you know, out there, there are some amazing singers out there, but they have no idea how to teach what they do because they just haven't really, you know, they don't, they don't realise that there's actually a mechanical way to understand the voice. Mm. And what would you, I suppose, say, I, I, I suppose maybe going to, like you have a, I, I understand, have a nursing background. I do. Um, yeah. Is that, I would imagine that's kind of helps inform, you know, your understanding of like the respiratory system and, you know, what's going on with the larynx and all of those things. Um, well, you would think then, so. <laughs> I would imagine. I don't know. <laughs> then I heard that. I was like, maybe I should go to nursing school. I <laughs> I didn't actually, uh, because when I did my training and I did an old style, which was um, in a hospital, I actually missed, I mean, we did ENT, classes mm -hmm. but i missed ent as a ward and so i didn't spend much time thinking about it i just learned what i had to learn in order to pass my exams 
and we certainly didn't go into the larynx. In fact, most doctors don't go into general mm. doctors don't go into the larynx as much as you would if you specialise in that area. Okay. And I've even spoken to ENT surgeons who don't understand how the voice works in singing as much as I do or some of my other peers. Mm. So I know you'd think it would. I mean, I, there were certain things I did know, like I knew that, you know, you couldn't make sound from the diaphragm and that it contracted when you inspired, you know, and understood that sort of thing. But I didn't mm. necessarily understand how that connected to singing and what was relevant and how to teach it. Right. But what I, but the things that really helped me was that ability to deal with different people. Mm. Um, also, everything I do, whenever something, you know, doesn't go right, it, the, for me, the, um, the litmus test is, is anyone going to die? And because in, in what I do, no one's ever going to die in what I do now. Right. As far as I'm concerned, that's easy. it's easy. Mm. Whereas in nursing, there was always this chance that you might do someone harm or that they might get worse or at the worst die. And so that made everything that I do, I think I put it into a different perspective. So when things didn't go right, I didn't panic about it. Because I was right. like, oh, well, no one's going to die out of this. Is in fact, I said it this morning to somebody. I said, yeah, yeah but is someone going to die? You know. <laughs> and so I think it makes me a little calmer. You know, I don't, right. I don't sort of panic about things when they don't go right. And of course, I also want to make sure that I'm always um, not doing any harm to somebody, uh, yeah. which I hope every teacher does. But um, that's something you know that that obviously I've was ingrained and and having a little bit more method you know being strategic about the way i approach something and trying to find a system mm -hmm. and a process which is one of the reasons that you know i ended up doing some of the other stuff that i ended up doing like best which was the singing teacher training program because i'm quite good at that systemizing something organizing it prioritizing it yeah creating methodology you know so that came from nursing definitely Mm. So how did that apply to uh, being a vocal coach then, as far as systemizing and, and all of that? Yeah. Well, I can remember once um, when I got tested for my teaching when I was doing speech level singing, I, I started in the test asking the person about their medical history, their singing history, all the things which, um, you, you know, are taught in the BAS course. Mm -hmm. So doing that full comprehensive background check and taking a good history and, and then, and, and this teacher said to me, I've never seen anyone do that. Well, I would never ever start with a new person without getting a background right. on them. And it just, it was really weird to me that, you know, somebody thought that that was unique. And I was, was interested in their medical background because I knew that some medical things and medications impact the voice. Right. And sometimes you might be working with a hoarse voice and you're trying to get it not to be hoarse. And then in actual fact, they're on a medication that causes hoarseness. So mm. you know, the way I would work with someone's voice in that situation is quite different to someone who didn't have any of that history. Right. Um, so it totally made sense to me. Yeah, so I think I'm much more, I take that that um, medical approach of, you know, assessing the person first, um, 
finding out from them what they want, you know, getting the subjective uh, viewpoint mm -hmm. and then creating a plan and then evaluating it as you go. And these are all nursing strategies, you know, well, that's what we're trained to do. Whether that happens in hospitals, I don't know, but it's certainly what we're aiming to do. Mm. And recording, that's the other thing, recording everything so that if there's any question about it, even years down the track, I can go back to my records. And mm. so that, that's that sort of stuff, which I think I just did as second nature, mm. isn't necessarily everybody's way of approaching teaching. Are you recording all your, do you record all of your lessons and keep them? I don't keep them all. Um, I usually keep the first one. Okay. Because quite often it's useful to go back when somebody wants to, you know, a student comes in and says, oh, not progressing, nothing's changed. And then we go back to lesson one and I play it to them. Mm. And they go, oh, yeah, okay, things have changed and I have progressed. Mm. Uh, or, you know, if they haven't, then I know I'm doing something wrong. Um, and then if I've got a particular, tr something that I think might be tricky, I, I will record it um yeah but it's not every lesson but i'll record every lesson for the student to take home because they need to be able to practice with something mm -hmm. and, and i think it's really important that the singer's listening externally to their voice because what we hear internally is quite different to what we hear externally yeah and sometimes things suddenly click into place when they hear it externally Mm, right oh oh right i see what you mean now you know whereas when they're listening to themselves internally they can't so there's a variety of reasons why recording yourself whether it's in a lesson or practice i think it's really mm -hmm. useful definitely and and also i mean how many times do you hear singers saying oh i hate my voice i hate listening to my voice in fact it's a it's something that many people say people are often really shocked the very first time they hear their voices mm -hmm. and and our question is like, how can a singer improve if they can't hear what their voice is doing? So they have to start listening to their voices um, yeah. Ob objectively yeah. um, to make changes or corrections um, or even just to understand what it is, how it's coming across, you know, is that coming across? I can remember the first time I, I realised that I thought I was really loud but when I listened to my recording, I was like, oh, I'm not really loud. And one of the reasons was because I kind of had my sound internally, you know, mm. and it was loud because it was right next to my ear. <laughs> as soon as it wasn't loud next to my ear, now I was projecting loudly out externally. Yeah. So I think just generally it's it's a really good thing for any singer to be listening to themselves. Right objectively not subjectively yeah i find there it seems to be sort of this because uh, they've said about people with eating disorders there's a body dysmorphia you know mm -hmm. i feel like there's like that similar thing with some of some singers and their voices that they believe it sounds much worse than it really does right. <laughs> you know <laughs> i usually get it the other way around too <laughs> <laughs> oh yes that too um, so, you know, sometimes we need a reality check or constant reality checks, I think, um, maybe in some cases. <laughs> so, okay, for your system, you have the history and then what else, uh, is part of the, the system of things? When I'm teaching? Yeah. 
Well, my teaching has really evolved over the years. I mean, I think because I work mainly with um, professionals now. Mm-hmm. Um, so working with a beginner, I'm probably a lot more systematic than I am with a professional. So with professionals, when they come in, it's really, it's troubleshooting. It's whatever right. that, what, whatever the problem is in this moment. Mm-hmm. And so I might start off with something quite in depth. And actually, I I now get a lot of my um, information from the from my client before I meet them. Mm. So I have a very extensive form that they fill in mm. uh, with their history and their desires. You know, what do you want with your voice? How happy are you with your voice? You know, from one to ten, how important is this? And I always find that fascinating. Because mm. I always think that if someone's coming to have work to work with me, that they would all be ten out of ten, but they're not always ten out of ten, which is interesting. But mm. then it, that informs me because right. I have to explore it. So why is this not ten out of ten for you? What's going on? And uh, more often than not, I've realised it's to do with lack of confidence. Mm. So they actually really are 10 out of 10, but they just don't feel confident enough to say that that's what they really want out of life. It's, it's the whole psychology of being a singer and singing is really fascinating to me. And so, yeah, so when I'm working with, with uh, professionals, I'm usually getting them either ready for something or getting them over something like an injury or, you know, fatigue or trying to just, they need to hit a particular note or they need to be able to sing a particular um song you know that they're struggling with and so that's the kind of work I do now uh, so my approach maybe is slightly different it's it's more troubleshooting and cons- you know consulting referring on where necessary mm. um, going in and doing quick fix things as opposed to when I was teaching people who were just trying to develop in their singing yeah. that was more about giving them um, exercises and workout regimes mm-hmm. developing their voice and mm-hmm. progressing making sure they're, they're progressive in the way that their um, voice is going and, and not just voice but their performance and and any and their musicality all of that stuff mm. and because of my background it's it's pretty varied so when someone comes to see me I can pretty much touch in on anything. My weakest area probably is um, the performance side in the sense of I performed as a jazz singer, had my own duos, even had a septet at some stage, but I didn't spend a huge amount of years out there gigging, touring Mm. um, as a singer Mm. because I realised actually i that wasn't my bag. I love singing. I, I love working with bands and doing the musicals, you know, the musical aspect of, mm-hmm. of singing, not necessarily the going out and performing. Right. I don't mind it, but it didn't drive me the way that I see some of my friends who are singers. It's like they're, they've got to be on stage. They've got to be performing in front of people. That's their existence. So that would be my weakest area. But when it comes to music, um, the health side, the technical side, those, those areas I'm pretty strong in. So the sort of people I see are going to be much more those people who either want to um, 
work on their musicality or their technical voice or their vocal health. And now I've moved more into mindset. Yeah, so that's that's um, yeah. another thing that I've added recently. Mm. Yeah, which I let's transition to that because I would love to talk to you about um, singer mindset. You know, uh, I've found certainly doing this show that, and then talking, you know, going back and talking to people who are listening that mindset is just a huge part of maybe why we don't make the progress that we'd like to make. So please tell me everything that you're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you're doing. What do you got? <laughs> so I don't know everything, but I, you know, I know um, that it's an area that for me now is priority number one. Mm. I, I think because I, Part of it was partly because I'm always I've been interested in mindset anyway. It fascinates me. And then when I discovered about uh, neuroplasticity, I mean, I was out there reading all those books, and mm. because I I got taught the old um, belief that you know the brain was concrete, and once you know it was set, you know once you got into your twenties, that was it. it. You know, it didn't change. And then, and even though I didn't believe it, because I noticed I was learning things, and I seemed to be able to evolve and develop and do different things and and certain things clicked for me much later in life than they did earlier in life mm -hmm. and I was like so I had kind of witnessed it in myself but then when I finally realized there were scientists and medical people out there who were saying yes that's absolutely right you know we have a plastic brain I was like I'm on I'm on that and fascinating to me because it for me it opens up so many possibilities so I've always been of the belief that we are only as limited as we believe we're limited, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, um, that we are limitless. We can fulfill incredible potential if we have the desire to the motivation and the ability to pursue that. But I never had any proof of it. And then for me, the realization that we've got this plastic brain was like confirmation of, of course, that is possible. Mm. and that then led eventually because I didn't you know I wasn't going to become a neuroscientist but um I was like so I see a lot of singers that come in who I think are incredibly talented who've got an amazing voice way better than I could ever dream of having in my lifetime mm. and yet there they are not performing not going out pursuing their career not not achieving their dreams and their goals, unhappy with everything, you know, to do with their voice and their singing. And it's like, but, but technically or even um, innately, I know that they've got it. So what's going on here? Mm. And it was happening more and more. Or I'd get students coming in who said that they really wanted to sing, that this was their passion, their life, they, but they never did the work. And I was like, yeah. so what's going on here? Why, why is this happening? Mm. And it's more and more I started to realise, oh, it's to do with their beliefs about themselves and their ability. And, and, and then I started, you know, I read a, a, a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, you know, which talks about um, yeah. the, the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, uh, yeah. I can see that. I look at all my students and I can label them all. <laughs> mm. That's fixed. That's, that's growth. That's fixed. And, and then she talks about the fact that you can learn to have a growth mindset. So mm. I started to go down this track and I, I trained in uh, left code belief process, which is 
a way of eliminating limiting beliefs through a whole process and I really loved it and, and worked with it for many years with students who, who were interested in that and got good results. Mm. And then I discovered um, Marissa Peer's uh, Rapid Transformational Therapy, which is a combination of psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, CBT and NLP. Mm. And it's a process that she's um, put together over the many years of being a therapist herself and using hypnotherapy and it's quick. And so it does a lot of what I was doing before but it's quicker and um, more transformation. Well, it's probably just quicker and maybe a little bit. Um, one of the things that I, that sometimes is difficult when you're working with somebody in the conscious mind is them really understanding what their beliefs are, you know, and trying mm. to figure out what the beliefs are. Once you've got the beliefs, it's very easy to get rid of them. But when I am working with someone in the subconscious, you know, under mm -hmm. hypnotherapy, the mind goes to that immediately and stuff mm. comes up, but you know, that um, situations that have occurred to them or, you know, um, incidences that they've experienced in their past come up in their mind that I know probably would never have come up if we just talked about it. Mm. So um, I trained in that last year and now I've been working with that um, sort of since, December, November, December last year. Mm. And I'm noticing some amazing things happening. So my goal is really to help set up the person's mindset so they can go mm. off, have those lessons, do the practice, pursue their career, do the networking, perform to their best, mm. to not be afraid to go and, and um, you know, meet that producer or mm. go and, put themselves out there to mm. write songwrite with other people or to put themselves in front of people that they might, you know, be too scared to do otherwise. So for me, I feel like my role is just to unlock the, the mind so that it's ready to do all the other good stuff that happens when you go and pursue your career. Mm. Love it. So I love this. Okay. So, <laughs> so if I'm coming to you and we're going to work on mindset stuff, uh, how do we get started? What, what are the parts and pieces and, and everything in our first session together? What are we doing? Right. So with RTT, the very first thing once again is getting a little bit of a history, but before you even do that, it's like, what is it? What is it that you want? What does RTT stand for again? Rapid transformational therapy. Okay. Uh, so that's the name of the method that Marissa put together. Okay. So the first thing you do, you know, is to find out what is it that the person wants. Usually it starts with a conversation. Like, so generally I'll have a 15, 20 minute conversation before any sessions because I need to make sure that the person's right for this and that, that you know, they're right and that I'm right for them. So we have a conversation for about 15, 20 minutes from the phone or on Zoom. What is what are their goals? What do they want, you know, to change? And then, because um, the other thing is that sometimes sometimes you can sort every sort it out within one session. Other times it needs a few sessions. So mm. you need to find sort of set it up to find out is it a one-off thing or is it something that might need a few more sessions. Mm. Um, so when the person comes to me, whether it's on Zoom or in person, 
the first thing I do is find out, well, if I waved a magic wand and gave you what exactly what you wanted, what would that be? What would you like to walk out with by the end of this session? And then, then I find a little bit about their background, their relationships with their parents, their current situation. And then really the biggest part of the work is done under hypnotherapy. So then I regress that person back to several scenes in their past uh, to find out what the root of and the cause of the issue that they have. So say they come in with anxiety, which is a, mm-hmm. quite a common. Mm. We go back to find out, well, what was the original cause or root or what, what contributed to the belief, you know, that it's necessary to be anxious? And we do this under hypnosis and, and every, you know, the person's totally in control. They can come out whenever they want to. It's not mm. a case of me dictating what someone's going to do. And that's the other reason I really love this work because I'm not telling the person under hypnosis what to do or how to be. I'm just opening them to the questions to find the answers. Mm. And so once we've found those scenes, the significant scenes, the ones that really have contributed to the beliefs or the thoughts or the behavior or the in inaction, the action or the inaction, mm. then we can go, well, how does this relate to, how do those past scenes relate to this current situation? And that work is often really, you know, the results are often really quite interesting because I might hear the story and think, Oh yeah, well, of course it's because of this, this and this. But as I said, my role isn't to, to say that my role is to say how do you have you made that connection Mm. and then the client comes up with the connection and quite often once we have that realization suddenly you're able to release it because you realize that well I'm not that three-year-old anymore Mm. who misunderstood what mummy was saying or who took what mummy or daddy was saying as this is it for me for the rest of my life actually, I'm not that three-year-old anymore. I'm an adult and I can make my choices. And, right. and so then also under hypnosis, we then, there might be some other things that we do, like what's the role and the function, the purpose and the intention of this behaviour. Um, we'll, we might do some work with the child, uh, the inner child, you know, to help be the parent that they wanted, which I think is really important for a lot of us. Mm. You know, I think many parents do the best they can, but it's not always, you know, it's not possible to be perfect. And Mm -hmm. and so there are times when a child will have missed out on stuff that they really needed and attention that they needed or validation that they needed that they didn't get. And so the best parent really that a person can have is themselves. Mm. And so we go through a process of helping the person to be their own best parent. Yeah. And help merge that child with the current adult so that we don't have to see ourselves as these separate entities, but we're actually, you know, one, one in the same. Mm. And then uh, we do, um, we sort of, we work with creating a script that then, then the client will listen to for the next 21 days that mm. is full of everything the client wants to hear. Mm. So part of that intake that that I did at the beginning was, so what would life be like without that problem? How Mm. would it feel? What would you see? What would you do? How would other people perceive you? How would they react to you? 
um, and and how would it feel is really important, you know. Mm. And so the words that they've used, you know, I want to feel empowered or I want to feel happy, I want to feel free and liberated, I want to feel confident, I want to uh, be able to go up and talk to that person and not blush, you know, whatever it is that they're mm -hmm. saying they would like then gets put in the last sort of 15, 20 minute transformation. Mm. which then is recorded and that's what we listen, you will listen to as the client for the next 21 days and that helps because one of the things is as we know is that change doesn't happen without repetition mm. mm -hmm. so we can unleash and release <clears throat> beliefs uh, and realize where they come from and help the person with the fact that the past is in the past mm. it's not the present any longer and whilst that did happen to you because some terrible things happen to people that's the reality it doesn't mean that anything about you it doesn't mean that life you know needs to continue with you believing that that's how it is you know even in terms of sort of working with people with abuse um you can actually help somebody get to a place where they realize that actually, yes, that was something that happened to them, but it means nothing about them. Mm, yeah. Whereas a lot of people come away with that guilt, don't they? Of feeling like somehow it was my fault. Right. I mean, children who are in divorced families often come away believing somehow that their parents are splitting up because of something they've done. Mm -hmm. right. um, so, so a lot of our beliefs are formed you know, at a time when we're really not qualified to form beliefs, you know, or pretty much all our fundamental beliefs are formed by the time we're seven. Oh boy. Yeah, really. So we're being, <laughs> we're being our thoughts, are, are, you know, and behavior and our inactions are being dictated to by this under seven year old child. Out of it, insane. Wow. Right, but <laughs> I mean, I have heard that, but I, I haven't thought of it in that way. Like the seven-year-olds were now running things. Oh no! <laughs> well, a really classic example I give. So yeah. a lot of people, you know, when you're talking about performance confidence, for instance. So why do people get anxiety? Um, you know, all these reactions when they're standing up in front of these people doing something which they totally love, right? Well, maybe something happened to you at school, like, you know, you put your hand up when the teacher asks a question and, and you answer and they say, okay, and, you know, what, what's the answer? And little Annie tells her version of the answer and the teacher goes, oh, that's not what I said earlier. Were you, weren't you listening to me? Gosh, you never listen to anything I say. Um, I can't believe you got that wrong. And then someone laughs and then another person laughs and little mm. Annie sits there and goes, oh, my gosh, it's really um painful to actually be wrong and to be noticed mm. if i put my hand up and i'm noticed and i do something wrong it's a bad thing and so then later down the track little annie grows up and she wants to become a singer and she's having singing lessons and it's all great in the singing um lesson as soon as she gets in front of the mark out on stage and she sees all these people looking at her this feeling comes back from when she had this horrendous experience as a child where she got ridiculed and she got told off by the teacher. And that sets off, you know, the memory of that sets off the fear factor. And of course, once fear 
starts off in the body, then adrenaline and cortisol start to get injected into the system. Once that gets going, well, it's very difficult to backpedal from that because now it's a physiological process. Mm. So if we can get little Annie to realize, well, yes, that happened when you were a little girl and that wasn't the right thing for the teacher to say. And actually just because you got it wrong then doesn't mean you'll always get it wrong. And in fact, if you surround yourself by people who are um, the right kind of people for you, or if you do the work that's required in order to make sure that you don't make mistakes, mm. then actually you're not going to have that same experience. And so next time she goes on stage, she goes on, oh, this isn't me being a seven-year-old at school getting something wrong. This is me as a 27-year-old having done all this work, you know, preparing myself to be a performer and a singer and done all the practice on the song, et cetera, et cetera. And then she's able to perform with confidence. Mm. Right. But until she's done the work, the hypnosis, she hasn't realised that that was the root of why she felt anxious every time she got on stage. Mm. Yeah. It's like this work, you know, that we would do with the, the performance coach with you feeds into the work that we then need to do because I always feel like, you know, our rehearsal needs a rehearsal and then the um, performance needs a rehearsal. Like there's all these like various steps, you know, and if you're not, um, if you're just like fearful, you're not, you, you don't do everything that you need to do. You know, you're just like at this end result where I'm humiliated <laughs> instead of, you know, preventing that in the first place and like really getting grounded into your own process. How can I own this, you know? Yeah. And not being yeah, that, yeah. which is the thing that I was saying about why is, why is this person not practicing? Well, quite often it's because if I practice and I get better, but I don't still achieve what I want, mm -hmm. that will mean I'm a failure. Mm. It's really interesting because some people set themselves up for failure because they expect it. <sighs> and other people are afraid of success because they don't feel they can handle it. Mm. The, the, the mind is just so incredible. I mean, there are several rules of the mind, which I think are really worth noting here. One of them is that it likes to be with the familiar and it, it will always take you towards the familiar and away from the unfamiliar. Yeah. So if it feels uncomfortable to be on stage or to not, not be perfect at something, you will constantly never put yourself in that situation because the mind always wants to stay with that familiar. Um, the other one is that emotion will always win over logic. Mm. So even though you tell yourself, well, if I do more practice, if I do more rehearsal, I'll get better. The emotion is I'm going to sound crap when I do the performance. And so better not put myself in that situation at all. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, and, and our beliefs, they totally run our behaviour, our thoughts, our emotions, our reactions and our non-reactions. But the beliefs, the, the, the crazy thing about it for me is that beliefs are nothing else other than something we made up to explain a situation. Mm. They're not the truth but they become our truth. Right. 
and and I, I think I, I sort of got to a place in my teaching where I was like, I could go on and on trying to get this person to sing better, to technically, you know, do all the technical work. I mean, I, you know, I've worked with a couple of people who, one guy in particular, I thought he was a great singer. I really thought he had a lot of talent, but he just wouldn't go out and perform. Mm. And I ended up having to, you know, and he was, there was, it was complicated. There were, uh, there was things going on, but I just, I thought, well, why am, you know, I can't continue to teach someone singing if they're not actually going out and singing. Right. And I actually ended up ending my um, work with him, Mm. which was sad because I really loved working with him, Mm. but I just thought, well, this is weird, you know, working on becoming singing and not actually singing. How long were you guys working together? Um, years. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You know, as I said, he was complicated. It wasn't a straight situation, right. and that's yeah. probably why I did work with him for years. Yeah. Um, but I did in the end sort of feel like it just seems to me a bit odd. I'm not a therapist. You know, right. Back then I wasn't a therapist. I mean, now I can actually say I'm a therapist, but back then I wasn't. And, um, and I'm probably now I would work with him in a different way you know right but uh back then i was working on singing technique and helping people get to the place where they could sing Mm. i mean listen you know i've been singing for such a long time that i think that i go into i certainly go into lessons or technique things um, obviously because i've picked up some bad habits or (laughs) whatever i've had time to do that but uh, there was a, a coach that I was working with who was great with the psychology stuff. And we spent a lot of our lessons, and thank goodness I recorded them, spent a lot of lessons uh, talking through issues that I was having. And then, you know, I would make an attempt at this um, high note in a particular song. And it, I've sung higher notes in other songs. And I was like, what is it about this song? I'm having this issue at this point. I'm like kind of freaking out about this note. It's not even the highest note I can sing, but for whatever reason. And um, then we talked through some stuff, stuff I've really felt like I dealt with, you know. Um, I've spent a lot of time journaling and thinking about myself. I'm like over it, but, <laughs> but you know, I like to do that work and just like move on. But there was, you know, there's a couple of things and then we, uh, talked about it and then we went back to the song and then I sang the note like with effortless you know it was just effortless and I was just like wow that yeah. is amazing you yeah. know so uh, I you know just in you know kind of the work I've done and like hearing about you know the work that you do and and looking more and more at like uh, the psychological aspect of it you see how important that aspect is to deal with probably before you do most anything else I think yeah you know i mean the thing is that in general there's i think there's a real increase in anxiety in in society especially in mm. western western society uh and of course singers are part of that because you know we're human too but um i think part of it is you know the fact that we're exposed to all the stuff that's going on and i feel that a little bit you know through the magazine when i'm doing you know stuff for the mag i'm like out going oh my god there's so many singers out there doing so many amazing things and i i don't know that i i think i would have frozen if it had been me coming through you know 
at this time, I don't think I would have been able to get out there at all because I just yeah. would have been overwhelmed with all the stuff that's out there and all the amazing stuff that's out, you know, so many great singers and singer-songwriters. And, yeah. and then I think people get really anxious because mm. uh, they're doing all that comparison thing, which I think, you know, innate part of us. It, it can be removed. I'm much mm. better than I used to be because um, you know, I got rid of that stuff. Because I realised if I wanted to progress in my business that I had to be able to, I didn't want to be, you know how people talk about becoming immune to things or having a hard shell. And I didn't yeah. want to be able to cope with the negative stuff that way. I wanted to be able to cope with the negative stuff with compassion. And yeah. I thought, so the only way I can do that is probably by starting on myself. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and it has worked, you know, because... When you put yourself out there, and I have, you know, with the singing teacher training program and also the magazine, you get, you become sort of more noticed, you know, people will notice you and things will come back, you know, criticisms or negative things. Yeah. And now I look at it and I'm okay with it. I'm, you know, I don't ignore it. If it needs addressing, I'll address it. But mm -hmm. I don't suddenly go like before, I would just internalize it and, and end up beating up on myself and months and months and then I'd retract, you know, and I wouldn't do things and right. And now I, I don't, you know, I just can continue, continue regardless, acknowledge that person if necessary and their mm. opinion or just move on and ignore and move on, you know, ignore it depending on the situation. Yeah. There's a lot of people out there who are sort of self-appointed singing police or singing teacher police. I know. You feel like it's the advent. I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I was like, you feel like it's the advent of uh, the, the sort of reality singing competitions where they have everybody call in and vote. It just seems like, and maybe well, it's always I, been like that, but, you know, it just seems like everybody's a, a critic now, you know? <laughs> Anonymity. Is that how you say it? An anim An anonymity? Yeah. <laughs> um, the which is a general thing that they've noticed sort of like in Facebook, you know, and, and social media and it's it, singing, the singing world just as much as it does any other sector. And there are people who I think because they're kind of behind the screen, who feel like somehow they're entitled to hurt other people. And I mean, the reality is they're probably hurting way more than anyone because mm -hmm. people who are happy with themselves don't feel the need to go around belittling other people or bringing them down or hurting them so mm -hmm. but that doesn't make it any easier you know mm -hmm. and I think it's definitely an aspect of being a singer that I didn't have to contend with you yeah know, I did not have to contend with that uh and that that definitely it's a big one you know I think it has a huge contribution makes a huge contribution to mental health problems amongst especially amongst celebrity singers because it's instant isn't it you post a photo or you post a video of yourself and instantly there's remarks from the whole world yeah whereas before if you put something out there the only you know people might make comments to each other but it wouldn't yeah. become public knowledge the only public stuff would be from the critics you know and then mm -hmm. people expect them to be negative or deriding mm -hmm. 
and um and that was hard enough as it was from what i understand you know yeah a lot of people never read any of their reviews you know like actors and and singers because they just couldn't cope with the negative aspect of it whereas now you know you've got every man and their dog well probably dogs wouldn't even do that (laughs) 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 and boys seem to do it and you know the other thing is of course you we get this very false sense of people don't we through social media because only people only ever post the good stuff about themselves Mm -hmm. and so you can get a false sense of how somebody's life is yeah absolutely um you know what i wonder is what are the um what are the things that you can deal with in one session and what are the things that, that have taken a few sessions as yeah, far as so, what you're dealing with yeah, that's a good question so there are many things that you can deal with in one session and in fact i've even dealt with anxiety in one session hmm. which surprised me when i first started but things like depression might take three sessions Mm. um even even something as severe as uh child abuse can actually be dealt with in a very short in one session really uh yeah confidence right now i'm working with somebody on giving up smoking and i feel like that can be a little bit more challenging because there's I'm realizing lots of layers to that. For some people, they can give up very in one session, but other people, because it depends on why they smoke. Mm. So, this person that I'm working with at the moment, she is totally on board with it, and you know, ticks all the boxes for being the right kind of client. But it's associated with feeling safe, and and um, coping with anxiety. Mm. So I didn't deal with that initially and I realised actually I need to deal with the anxiety and and the feeling safe and I think probably once that's dealt with, the smoking will stop. Mm. Maybe eating disorders might... uh, Bulimia, I I haven't worked with anyone with anorexia, but bulimia is a lot easier to deal with than anorexia Mm. and anorexia is really, really difficult because um, by the time someone's got to that stage, it's almost like they've rewired their brain. Ah. It's quite complex. Um, But pretty much everything else is, you know, confidence, practice, focus, um, motivation. Quite often I can work with a bunch of things together. Uh, Mm. They're kind of related. I worked with someone not long ago who just believed they weren't good enough. And that's a very common belief. Right. And that was one session. Wow. Yeah. That was gone. And uh, it's quite funny because you see, and I've done it myself before, You people going, I'm kind of looking for situations and going, well, why isn't it here? You know, it's almost like they're kind of missing it. Um, but it's just not mm. coming up anymore because the, the fundamental, the cause of it has been eliminated. So most things can be dealt with in one session. Mm. Uh, but, you, you know, sometimes I'll work with someone and there's several things that they need to work on and some are separate, you know, like mm. I couldn't work necessarily with smoking and depression and eating disorders. I mean, wanting to lose weight and, and um, you know, wanting to fall pregnant, you can't really work with those two things together because mm. obviously if you fall pregnant, then you are going to put on weight. Right. Um, 
Yeah, but the things that are, you know, most of the singers I've worked with, they're doing things that practical things like trying, you know, giving up smoking is one of them. Um, anxiety, confidence, uh, and then just, yeah, not having tension when they sing. Mm. And I'm working on that still. There's some ideas that I have with regard to that, and I'm going to experiment because I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of singers who are quite happy to try different things out. And so one of the things I want to do this year is do some work with some singers, like in your situation where, you know, there was just one note that can't sing and see if I can get them, to, you know, into find out what's going on under hypnotherapy and see if we can fix it easily that way. But I need to play around with that and just see how that works. I sort of feel like in theory it could be really an easy fit, but I don't know. I yeah. yeah. So there's pretty, pretty much anything that can be dealt with, you know, if the person is absolutely on board with it. Right. A bit more difficult if you're being sent by someone else. Right. If you don't believe you need to be there, maybe. Right. Well, hypnotherapy kind of, it's like, you're working with your own subconscious and if your subconscious isn't on board with it, then probably you're not going to get the change, those changes. Mm. Um, but if, if someone's on board with it, then the changes can happen very easily. I had OCD, sorted OCD out in one session. Wow. I know that's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even tell their family about it. Right. And within days, if their family was saying, what's going on with you? You know, why aren't you doing this thing anymore? So mm. everyone, knows, you know, that was an interesting one. It's, it feels a little bit like magic sometimes. And I, and I, the, my little skeptical sciencey side goes, well, actually even on the science side, I've done a lot of reading now about hypnotherapy and realized that actually even the science is, supports it. Mm. But there's, you know, that skeptical side of me that goes, Oh, well, you know, maybe it's just a little bit of, of um, woo, um, voodoo or something like that but actually even voodoo can be really strong you know yeah. when i was i was telling somebody not long ago and when i was nursing mm -hmm. and i guy got brought in and he'd had this uh, it's like a voodoo thing but it's not voodoo in in a, um the aboriginal culture they call it po pointing the bone mm -hmm. and a witch doctor had pointed the bone and this guy basically died because when the bones pointed basically they believe that they're going to die. And this guy ended up dying. He was quite young. He was in his thirties. He had no medical issues. And that just shows you the power of the mind. Mm. I knew someone who sort of ended up giving themselves diabetes through worry. Holy moly. Yeah. Ended up in a diabetic coma, but it wasn't actually, there was no physiological reason for them to have diabetes. I could see that. Yeah. I, I've, I've had people in my life where I've, I've thought, I, well, what do I, what on earth do I know? But, you know, just from what I've observed being on the planet 41 years, of, <laughs> you know, I thought that, I think that person has thought themselves into that physical ailment or, you know, whatever that issue is. And just like, I, you know, no, I, the mind is so powerful. Yeah. But, and that's why I want to try and harness it for the positive things. Because mm. imagine what the world would be like if we had people who were free of those negative beliefs. Who you know, like you wouldn't have nasty, mean people trying to overpower others because that's all that is, right? Yeah. 
and then all the other, you know, the bullying that goes on. Mm. It doesn't. People don't do it just because it's something to do. Something drives them. A belief drives them. And if they didn't have that belief, and if we could get rid of those kind of beliefs that drive that negative behaviour that people mm -hmm. have towards each other, and also towards themselves, right? How well could be. I mean, yeah. Um, you know. It would be an amazing world. And that's, you know, I feel like in this part of my career, that's what I want to work on. Mm. Making it in some small way, helping to make this world a better world by freeing people from their limiting beliefs. Love that. And, yeah. And then also helping people to create all that creativity that can come out when you don't have the limiting beliefs that stop you, like I'm not good enough or you have to be perfect to do it or yeah. uh, mistakes and failure are bad or, you know, all the things that, you know, limit us and stop us from creating. We have way better music, way better singers. That excavation, you know, um, oh, it's good to know that it can happen quick. <laughs> well, that was, you know, know me to the RTT. Yeah. Actually, one of the reasons that you know, see Marissa Pierce, uh, Marissa Pierce herself says that she doesn't believe in this week after week, month after month, year yeah. after psychotherapy talk. You know, so yeah. no, let's just get rid of that and then move on. Absolutely, certainly. You know, if you're not you're not a sociopath or a narcissist or whatever, I mean, how why should it be so difficult <laughs> to deal with some of this stuff? You know what I mean? And our minds are incredible, you know. They're yeah. Really, and we don't harness half of its power. True, yeah. I mean, for all, this is one thing which I like to say to people. I'm not the originator of this, but it, I truly believe it, is that if your mind has convinced you to this point, not only with your belief but with everything, you know, that follows on your behavior, your emotional responses, your actions, your inactions, if it has managed to convince you that you're not good enough, when there's actually no rule book out there that says you, Lynn, was, were born into this world not good enough, right? Mm. But somehow you've managed to convince yourself that that's your reality. That's a pretty powerful thing. Because no, there's no proof of that you're not good enough. Right. There's no rule book that says this person, Lynn Hilton, when she's born into the world is not going to be good enough. Even if someone else says that you're not good enough, by whose standards? And right. does it mean you'll never be good enough? Or good enough in this? Or, you know, does that mean you can be, can't be good enough in other things? Mm. You know, all, all of that stuff, stuff, yet here we are as an adult behaving like that that's the truth, reacting as if that's the truth, and telling ourselves constantly, and other people as well, right? true. Well, that, that's just a thought. It's just a belief that you've created based usually on inaccurate information or misinterpreted information. Right. So if the mind can do that and influence your life 
you know, make you miserable, make you depressed, mm -hmm. stop your confidence, stop you from achieving your goals and your dreams. Mm -hmm. Imagine what you do with that mind when you can turn that mind around to the I am good enough. Yeah. So why not harness your mind to work in the positive rather than the ne negative? And even if someone just comes away with the realisation this is a possibility, then they've moved forward a bit. Yeah, that's great. Let me ask you some quick questions. This is wonderful. Um, what is uh, a personal habit that has helped you in your, in your life or your business? Or sometimes they just become intertwined, your life and your business, but a personal habit that's helped you. Personal habit that's helped me. Well, that's interesting. Um, to ask questions. Mm. Yeah, to not take anything necessarily on face value and to not assume that that is categorically the truth. Yeah, that, so certainly when I was younger, I used to assume if someone told me something, then that was the truth. Mm -hmm. That's probably pretty normal. Yeah. And I remember very distinctly this realisation that, oh, that's a truth. But I might need to remember to ask some more questions to dig and delve a little bit further mm -hmm. rather than it. And it's and that curiosity to find out more, I think that's been a great habit. Mm. So learnt so much. Uh, it's exposed me to things that I would never have thought about doing. And it's helped me meet people that I would never have imagined meeting. So, yeah, having that curiosity, asking questions, having that open mind and the habit of, of that open mind, I think is important. That's great. Um, what's a book that has influenced your business? My business? Yeah. Well, you've got a few businesses, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Brain That Changes Itself, I suppose, was what really opened my mind so mm. to understanding how flexible and, and um, plastic the brain is. Mm. Um, start With Now by... Uh, sorry, not Start With Now. Um, start With Why. Mm. You know that book? I have not heard that. Start With Why by Simon Sinek, which helps you to, instead of looking at your business from the point of view of all the things that you do, it's looking at your business from the point of view, and that can be your business like, you know, the physical businesses that you have or you as a an artist. Mm -hmm. I've applied it in that um point like when I'm working with artists who are developing their careers start with why am I doing it why do I do this so he gave a great example of sort of like why did Apple do so well because they did something that lots of other companies did as well you know they weren't any different to IBM right or to, um what, what's that other there's another famous computer that's not a apple um dell or dell yeah so they they produce computers just as good if 
you know, maybe not even as good as Dell's, you know, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But so why was it that people just went flocking over to Apple? Because when you look at their adverts and their philosophy and, and, and their marketing, it's all about why they do it. You know, mm -hmm. we do it because we're aiming for style and perfection and simplicity and classiness and you know all that and people bought into that mm. so, so that really helped me building my businesses whenever i thought about my marketing i was always thinking what is my why here as opposed to yeah i could talk about all the things that we do but why do we do it so the magazine i do it because there was nothing like this available um, to me when I got started, you know, a one resource that I could go to that I could rely on um, and that understood me as a singer. You know, I really wanted mm. them to be there to help support singers because no one else does. Mm. Band members don't understand us. Producers don't understand us. And yeah, right. all these people earn out of us don't understand us so someone's yeah. got to be in our corner so the magazine's about that and promoting health and well-being you know whether that's mental um or physical and vocal mm. Mm. and then bass is about creating a non-methodolog meth metho um so a non-method orientated uh course that just introduces somebody and gives them the confidence to get started becoming a singing teacher yeah. once again creating a community uh for them and being there to help support the the sing, singing teacher in the first three years of, of their career so that really helped with my understanding how to market mm. and how to do social media and and you know what to put on the websites and that so i thought start with why was a really important business mm. But there are many books that I've read that um, have influenced me. I, the other one I mentioned earlier was the Carol Dweck book, Mindset. Brilliant. Um, so last question, what's your parting advice for singers who want to make a career out of their singing? Okay. First of all, understand that you will get way more no's than you'll get yeses. Mm. And that if you're not able to cope with that, you either need to find another job or you need to do the mindset work that will help you cope with that. You can't do it by yourself. So surround yourself by people who are supportive, who get you, who support what you have to say, you know, as an artist or as a singer and who can help you develop as well. So, you know, good coaches and teachers as well as, finding a good ENT that you can go to if there's anything wrong. Understand that it's not a case of if you end up having voice problem, but if you have a career, it'll be when. Mm. And it might be as simple as, you know, you have a cold and you go out and sing and then your voice, you know, conks out, you know, or it might be more complex in, in terms of it's a, a, a bad technical habit that actually needs correcting. Don't delay. You know, don't delay. I always say that singers need to go and see an ENT. Um, so the general advice is after two weeks of changes. But I say for professional singers, you've got to go within 72 hours. Mm. 
because any delay can make a huge difference to your ability to continue working. Mm. So find yourself a good ENT laryngologist and speech therapist. Yeah, so um, having, you know, a good team around you, good nutritionist, mm-hmm. um, get your psychological side sorted out, whatever, however it is you want to do that, you know, meditation, what all those things that will help you keep the balance that's required to do this job. It's a hard mm-hmm. job. So... Um, the other thing is that understand that you can change. Mm. <laughs> I think that's the general advice that I give to people. You don't have to be the same. Things don't have to be the same forever. Mm. There are, you know, we're really lucky in this day and age. First of all, it's accepted that if we need help, you know, we should go find it and it's accepted. And secondly, we have so many options for help. You know, there's something out there for everybody, really. Um, Even as simple as going on to YouTube and learning how to do EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is tapping. Mm -hmm. That might be enough to help, you know, help you. Or, you know, more complex, you know, the other end would be pharmaceuticals. But, um, yeah, just realise that you don't have to be fixed, whether that's your voice, whether that's your performance, whether that's your habits, whether that's, um, you know, your genre that you're in or, you know, that it can change and it probably mm. will. That's okay. Mm. You know, allow yourself to grow and evolve and develop. And um, I think I, I often see singers who are just fixated on being this one thing. Mm. And they kind of miss all the op- other opportunities that there are out there. Yeah. And yeah, and be adaptable. So understanding that actually generally as a singer, you're not going to just be the one thing. Mm. You might need to be more than one thing. So you might be a a working singer, gigging singer, but you might also teach. Mm. Um, you, You might do writing or you might do different types of uh, performance so you might do your own artist stuff and being a bv singer um Mm. you know just it is it is one of those jobs where generally you will have to have more than one skill right in order to survive and and that's okay and you'll find at certain times of your life one will be more dominant than another right but I think, uh, I, you know, if I see a singer come in and say, I only ever want to be a this, then there are a few people who end up that way, but it's for longevity. It's, you know, and if you look at a lot of singers' careers, you know, especially ones who ended up, you know, in the charts at some point, the ones that survived are the ones that are being flexible. So if you can already be practising that in the beginning, then you're you're ready for it when you need it later down the track. So I think those, those would be the key things that I would advise somebody who wants to be a working singer. That's great. And then um, lastly, what's the best way to contact you in the future? Somebody wants to do that. Well, my website is Lynn spelt L I N E Hilton, H I L T O N.com and info at Lynn If you want to uh, email me and then I'm on Facebook under Lynn Hilton Coaching, Twitter, Lynn Hilton, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Lynn Hilton, L-I-N-E. 
H-A-L-T-O-N. Um, yeah, so I really welcome, you know, any questions, uh, you know, especially with the mindset stuff, because it's something that I'm really focused and interested in right now. Yeah. Interested in other people's experiences as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also if people are interested in becoming a singing teacher training, there's BAST, B-A-S-T, T-R-A-I-N-I-N-G.com. Mm -hmm. And then the magazine, which is um, I Sing Mag, little I and S-I-N-G-M-A-G.com. That has regular articles. We do free webinars. Uh, we have discounts and um, yeah, so that's that's there for singers to just support singers in um, in their careers or their hobby, you know, whatever level they want. There's lots of amazing health advice, yeah. uh, career advice, anything there that um, might be useful. You just go in the search engine and can look up anything pretty much. And you know, we've interviewed career singers as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, BAST is, is, has, we have some free webinars as well for that. So if someone's maybe thinking about becoming a singing teacher but not sure, the prerequisites are that you should have at least three years of performance experience out there as a gigging singer mm -hmm. uh, or equivalent. And it's preferable that you have some sort of background in in theory and piano, but it's not absolutely necessary. And we do have a little piano course, uh, scales course to help people. I mean, I know a lot of singing teachers who started off didn't know how to play the piano at all, but you know, a lot of people learn as they go just to play the scales. So that's um, available for singers who want to become singing teachers. Yeah, so they're the three things that I'm very closely involved in. Um, and uh, yeah, hit me up on social media. I love hearing from singers. Great. Well, awesome. My gosh, thank you so much for your time. This has been really brilliant. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And thanks so much for what you're doing. You know, I think it's really important too. And uh, I really look forward to seeing how it all goes. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly did. So let's get into the singing lessons. Number one, it's a really good thing just for any singer to be listening to themselves objectively, not subjectively. Number two, you should understand that you'll get way more no's than you'll get yeses. If you're not able to cope with that, you'll need to find another job or you need to do the mindset work that will help you cope with that. Number three, you can't do it by yourself. Surround yourself with people who get you, who are supportive, who support what you have to say as an artist, and who can help you develop as well. Number four, find a good ENT. Understand that it's not a case of if you have a voice problem, but if you have a career, it will be when. Number five, understand that you can change. Things don't have to be the same forever, whether it's your voice, your performance, your habits, your genre. It can change, and it probably will, and that's okay. Number six, allow yourself to grow and evolve and develop. Number seven, be adaptable. Understand that generally as a singer, you're not going to just be the one thing. It's one of those jobs where you ought to have more than one skill in order to survive, and that's okay. 
So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I love all of that advice. I really love this episode. Mindset stuff is something I'm really digging into um, these days. I've been reading a lot about it. And as I've said, in, fairly recently, I had a coach that I was doing a lot of mindset stuff with, vocal coach. But, you know, we were um, spending as much time on mindset as we were on technique, if not a little bit more. So it is so much at the foundation of what we do. And, you know, if you've been singing for any length of time, you uh, have had some time to build up maybe some uh, toxic beliefs about yourself or what you sound like, um, how you look, anything that's got to do with our performance. So there are a ton of resources in the show notes, everything we talked about, I'm going to be linking to. So um, definitely take advantage of all of that. And uh, the show notes will be at the workingsingerpodcast.com. That's www.theworkingsingerpodcast.com. And again, all the links are going to be there. Join the Facebook group. Go ahead and go into your Facebook search, type in the Working Singer Podcast community, ask to join, and I will let you in. So I look forward to seeing you there. Um, also, follow me on Instagram at Jamila Ford Music, J-A-M-I-L-A-F-O-R-D Music. And I also have a an Instagram for the podcast, the Working Singer Podcast on Instagram. So follow uh, both of those. Please share this podcast or any of the other podcasts um, that you might have enjoyed with someone that you think would benefit from hearing the information. Um, not only that, please subscribe. You don't want to miss any episodes. Um, and subscribing definitely will prevent that. <laughs> also, review. Please leave a review. Um, that really does help us to move up in the ranks. So I would greatly appreciate if you would leave a review and what else we got going on. That is it for this week. You guys, um, I am so excited, uh, that you joined us. This is again, I think this is such important stuff and really at the foundation of, um, what we do and what you really want to have together is that strong mindset, that healthy subconscious, if we really want to move forward and, and uh, create the types of careers that we want to create, or even the kinds of relationships we want to create, you know, outside of that. Just good stuff. So excited. So let me know what you think. Hi at theworkingsingerpodcast.com. I would love to know about any of your mindset work and um, what your thoughts are on that. Um, so that's it for this week. Love you. Appreciate you. And I will talk to you again next week.